0: Recently, the American Bible Society published The State of the Bible 2023. And so if you're familiar with the idea of the state of, the president gives one every year, the state of the union. The governor gives one, the state of the state. Some pastors give a state of the church and talks about where they're at, maybe where they're going. So state of the Bible sounds kind of weird because well, the Bible hasn't changed. The Bible's still the Bible. And really what the state of the Bible that the Bible Society puts together is about how are people reading the Bible? How are they engaging with it? How is it affecting them? And one of the things they looked at was, how often are people reading the Bible? How much are people reading the Bible? And so one of the statistics that caught my eye was it broken down by different religious traditions, and so the one that I paid most attention to was evangelical Protestants, which would broadly be what we would fall under here. And according to their survey, the study that they did over the last year, it said about 20% of evangelical Protestants read the Bible daily outside of church, about 11% four times per week, 13% several times per week, and about 8% one time per week. The first one sounds pretty good, 20%, one out of five reading it every day. Then you start to go down, and if you add up those numbers, that's 53%. Which means 53% of the people are reading the Bible at some point during the week outside of church. Which is good. The downside of that is that means there's 47% who aren't reading it at all. And as a denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, one of the key things that has been a part of our denomination is the centrality of the Word of God. And so if we go back to the early beginnings of our denomination back in the late 1800s, one of the questions that they used to ask one another is, where is it written? And the idea was, what does the Bible say about this and how does it affect our lives? And if we were to ask people here sitting here today, I think most of us would say it's important. that God's word is important that we should be reading our Bible and taking a look at what it has to say. Now, I don't know how we compare to those statistics from the American Bible Society. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. We're not going to do a poll or try and suggest how you all are doing at the time. But one of the things that I've learned over the years is we're often not as good as we think we are. And I mean that even personally, that sometimes I think, oh, yeah, I read my Bible every day. And then if I were to go back and really look through things, I might say, well, It's probably not every day, or maybe it's not every day, maybe there were these days I missed, or maybe you think you read it three times a week, and then you start going back and you realize, well, maybe it wasn't as often. And now, my intent is not to start this sermon by making you feel guilty about not reading the Bible, but to start us to think about this thing that we know, and I think generally we would believe the Bible is a great thing. We talk about it as the word of God. We talk about it as a light to our feet, as, as the sword that pierces and sorts out things. But we also realize it's not easy to read. I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves, the Bible is not an easy book to read. You go through it and there's parts that are just kind of weird in places. I mean, it's strange that you're trying to figure out what in the world's going on there. Talking about not putting a calf in its mother's milk and all the baby kid in its baby's milk and you're like, what is this all about? Then there's sections of the Bible that are just boring, okay? And it's okay to say that. I'm giving you permission. There are parts where it's just really where there's a big long list of names. I don't know how many of you, how many of you remember telephone books. I mean, they don't. I, yeah. did you ever sit down and just read a phone book? Some people did, okay. But generally speaking, you come to sections of the Bible and there's just a big, long list of names. And they're not easy names. They're these big, long, multi-syllabic names. And you're thinking, why am I reading this? And you just kind of skip through that. And other sections where you think, I've heard this before. Why am I reading it again? And then there's parts that are just kind of disturbing. I've been reading or listening to... uh, First and second Samuel, these stories of the early kings, and there's a story in there where a guy's riding on his donkey, and then his hair gets caught in a tree, and he's hanging from the tree by his hair, and then people are coming up, and they're stabbing him. Something's like, well, this is just weird, and it's disturbing. I'm like, why am I reading this? And so that's part of what makes the challenge to read, is there's all these things, and there's other things that make it harder to read. We're going to talk about some of those in the upcoming weeks about why sometimes it's just hard to read our Bibles. And I think that's one of the reasons behind it is when the American Bible Society did their survey, they found that one of the reasons that people don't read their Bibles as often as they want is because it's hard to understand. It's difficult, it's confusing. And so this new series we're starting today is going to do a couple things. One is we're going to remember, and we're going to remind ourselves and talk about why it's important to read our Bible? I mean, I started with this survey that said, of people don't read their Bible, and if somebody's serving and wondering why people aren't doing it, they must think that there's an important reason, that people should be doing this for some reason. So we want to remember why is it important to read our Bible, and then we're going to look at over the next few weeks how we can overcome some of those challenges. We're not going to make the Bible not weird. We're not going to be able to make the Bible not disturbing, but we're going to look at some ways that maybe make it a little easier for us to read. And this is all leading up to a new series we're going to begin in February, a new series or really a new experience. And we did one several years ago here at Fruitland, and it's called an Immersed Bible Experience. And we are going to be reading together over the course of eight weeks, the entire New Testament. You think, oh, that's a lot. it's about 20, to the, depending on your rate of read, it's about eight or nine pages a day. There will be options to listen to it too. We have audio Bibles because I know some of us don't like to read. Some of us, it's hard to read. Some of it's easier to listen. And I would encourage you, if you've never done that, to sometimes to listen to an audio Bible because I know that's what I've been doing. I've been doing in the morning is I've been listening to this Bible as I'm doing things and I'm hearing things that I know I've read before and I don't, you hear them differently. And so what we're going to be doing is entering into this, and we're going to be reading it together. We're going to be having some book clubs. And I'm calling that deliberately for a reason. Not Bible studies, but book clubs. In a book club, you come into, you hear, well, what did you hear this week? What was different? What bothered you? What was new to you? And so we're going to be doing that during, uh, beginning on the second Sunday of February, and reading through together. We'll be talking more about that. We're going to be giving you a... um, A different Bible to use, a Bible specifically for this purpose. And some of what we'll be talking about in the next few weeks is why this Bible and how it's different than what you have. And the words themselves aren't different, but we'll be talking about how it's formatted, how it's laid out a bit differently. And so as I'm thinking about our message for this morning, I was reflecting back on my time when I was in the military. And I was, at that time, I was in my mid late 20s and I was rediscovering my faith. I had grown up going to church and hearing the stories of the Bible and all what it was about. But I was learning more what it meant and how it was personal to me. And I, I started to attend some small group Bible studies, which I had never done. And one of the things I was told at these Bible studies was I need to read my Bible. But the interesting thing was I was never told why. I was just like, well, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be a Christian, you need to read your Bible. I like, okay. I was like, well, why? Well, why read this? And, and I had come out of college, and I think, well, what do we do mostly with books? I mean, we read our books for one of two reasons. One, just for pleasure, right? Or having spent many, most of my life at that point in school, you read books to learn stuff. And when we pick up our Bible... Most of us have a modern Bible. You pick it up, and it kind of looks like a textbook. I mean, it's got all these little notes and things all over the place and numbers and stuff in it. And we're going to talk more about that later. But one of the questions is, how do we think about our Bibles? I mean, how do we think about it? And one of the things was, it was almost like I was just given the Bible and told to read it. And as if, well, if you just read your Bible, it'll work. Kind of like those directions, the recipes that you have. Maybe you buy a mix or something, and it says, just add water. It's almost like being a Christian is just add Bible, and all of a sudden things will be happening. Well, it's, it's not quite that easy. But what I want us to look at today is one of the reasons we read our Bible is because our life depends on it. More specifically, and we should say better, our life depends on God and our relationship to God, and the Bible is one of the primary means to that relationship. So our life doesn't depend on the Bible, our life depends on, on God, but the Bible serves as one of the means to our relationship with him. So we're going to be looking at the passage that John read earlier from Matthew chapter four, just the first part of that story. So if we're in Matthew chapter four, we're well aware that came, comes after Matthew chapter three in our Bibles. And even if we don't know much about the Bible, we can guess chapter four comes after chapter three, because that's one of the things that's not weird about the Bible. The numbers go in order. And so what's happened in Matthew chapter 3 is Jesus has come on the scene and Jesus has been baptized. He's gone down to the River Jordan, the significant river in the history of the people of Israel. And his cousin John has baptized him, has taken him and placed him under the water, a symbol of being washed, a symbol of new birth, a symbol of renewal. And he comes up out of the water. Matthew chapter 3 tells us that the Spirit descended on him. And then there's a voice from heaven. And this voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And so Jesus has just received the power of God to go and do things, the power of the Spirit to do things. And he's been reminded of his identity, of who he is and of his calling, that he is the Son of God. There's a lot going on there. It's complicated. But then we go into Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. And then it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. All right, there's a lot going on here. We're just kind of leading into it because this isn't the verse I want to focus on. He's led by the Spirit. The Spirit of God takes him into the desert for the purpose of being tempted. All right, then it goes on. He says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And that's where one of those places where you think, okay, did I need to know that he was hungry? I mean, how many of you after fasting 40 days think you'd be hungry? How I many after fasting, 40 minutes would be hungry. <laughs> How we do? We, I mean, we just came out of Christmas when there's just, I mean, there's food never ending. We've got this counter in the kitchen there, and it's just, it's, there's piles of cookies and sweets and stuff on it all the time, and I don't think it's gotten any smaller. It just seems, it's like, well, it just keeps reproducing, I think. But there's this thing, but Jesus is hungry. He says, I, I'd be hungry too, but then says the tempter that's the devil the one he comes the one who comes to tempt him to challenge him and it says if you are the son of god tell these stones to become bread now notice that question that phrase that the satan the devil the attempt the tempter the accuser comes to him if you are the son of god what did we just hear at the end of chapter 3 this is my son so Jesus has just been told he's the son and now he's being tempted to prove he is the son. He's tempting him, the devil's tempting him to say he doesn't need God. He's tempting him to, to doubt his calling. He's tempting him to doubt his identity. Tempting him to doubt who he is. He says if you are the son of God, if, if this is really who you are, maybe, or maybe it's just a question of like, well, if you're the son of God, then you can do certain things until these stones have become bread. I mean, now there's a temptation 40 days of fasting, no eating, you're hungry. And you have the power to turn stone to bread. Back to another army experience for me. One of the things I did while I was in the army was I went through the U.S. Army Ranger School. And the Army Ranger School is designed to teach you leadership skills in small units. And one of the ways they do that is they try and simulate the stress That people go through in combat now they can't actually shoot at you but so what they do is they find other ways to stress you and one of the two primary ways they stress you is by cutting down how much food you have and reducing how much sleep you get and so we would go several weeks at a time sleeping three or four hours a night and maybe getting one meal a day and so you're stressed but not only that you're having to learn to lead other people who are tired and stressed And so you're having to motivate them. And I'm thinking back to those days and sitting there at times where I was maybe on guard duty and I had a little notebook and I was writing things and I was thinking about things. And one of the things I was writing down was all the stuff I'd eat when I got home. (laughs) And then I'm thinking, if I were Jesus and I could turn I mean, they just gave us meals and that, that was what you had. I mean, if you lost your meal, too bad. If you, they would go out, so we would go out for three days and they'd give us five MREs, these little meal packets. So you had five meals for three days. If you ate all five meals the first day, too bad. But if I could turn the stones into bread, I'd be good. And I was, I had been eating some food. I hadn't gone 40 days without it. And so here's Jesus, 40 days without food, and he's tempted. And, and the devil comes to him and knows that he can do it. If you can turn these stones into bread... Let me go ahead and do it. Jesus answers him. It is written. In other words, he's referencing what God has been given previously in what we call the Old Testament or the First Testament, the revelation of God. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. I would encourage you to go back and read that, that whole story of the people of God in the desert. But Jesus is answering what's going on here, what this temptation is. He says, man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What's Jesus doing? He's pointing to God as the source of life. I don't think what Jesus is teaching is we have to have the right verse to quote. There is certainly something to be learned about the way Jesus responds each case in going back to what God has said. But what he's getting at here is a way of living. He doesn't say we don't need bread. He says man shall not live on bread alone. But he's saying there's more to our life than our physical body. What he's saying is we can't live apart from God. We can't live apart from God. We need God and a relationship with him. And Why do I say a relationship? Because when we speak, what do we use words for? Communicating, right? We're communicating. And so we talk about God speaking. God's speaking to us, and speaking to us implies relationship, that God is relational. It's so relational is known and being known. In fact, Jesus even defines eternal life as knowing in John chapter 17, verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So relationship with God is essential to life, and so that's what Jesus is getting at here when he's talking about the bread. How do we know things about God? The Bible, Bible, right? As God, I mean, if God didn't tell us anything about Himself, would we know anything? No. So we know as God reveals Himself, and God reveals Himself primarily, not exclusively, but God reveals Himself one of the primary ways is through the Bible. The other most important way is through Jesus. But how do we know about Jesus? Primarily through our Bible. And so the primary way that we get to know who God is, God who is the source of life, is through our Bible. Our life comes from God in relationship with Him. And one of the ways we hear that is through Him speaking, through His Word, we call it. But I like the way that this quote puts it from Alex Goodwin. He says it this way. We don't simply read the Bible to understand and learn. We read it to live. I mean, we often come to the Bible, we want to understand, we want to learn, and we study, we do all those things. But the main reason we come to the Bible is to live. To enter into relationship with God, to to get to know God, to begin to know Him better. Because the source of life, the only way we can have life and life eternal is through a relationship with God. And we enter into that through Jesus but we learn about it, we enter into it, we experience it through reading God's Word. We get to know who God is, we hear who He is. It's not just simply coming to it and learning facts, but what Jesus has told us, this is the bread. This is what we need for life, is to hear from God, to know Him, and to enter in a relationship. And one of the primary ways we do that is through reading our Bible, or through hearing it. And so as we start in 2024 and we think about, am I engaging in my Bible often enough? Am I reading it? Am I listening to it? Sometimes we need to have a, a purpose, a reason to do things. Sometimes we start the new year and we decide we're going to eat a little bit better. We're going to exercise more often. We're going to sleep more. Maybe we're going to learn. And oftentimes one of the things that keeps us going is having a why behind it. And a solid why. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm going to eat a little bit better because I want to, I want to lose this much weight. And that, that sometimes works for a little while or I want to be able to fit in that pair of pants that I haven't worn for 25 years, but I'm hanging on to. <laughs> because someday I'll be able to wear them. But what I've found and discovered is, in my own experience and talking with other people, those kind of motivations don't work. But what if the motivation is, I realize I want to live a bit longer so I can be with my grandkids. And that's a solid motivation. And it can begin to experience, say, oh, I'm going to adjust the way I eat, not, not worry about what, it, what I look like, or what it, but to say I can be healthy and live a little bit longer. And so the why behind reading our Bibles isn't so we can show off in front of our friends at church. The why behind reading the Bibles isn't so we can answer quizzes and questions. The why behind reading the Bible isn't so we can go to the pastor and say, I read my Bible every day this week. The why behind reading our Bibles is because the Bible helps us to know God better who is the source of life. The why behind reading the Bibles is the words of Jesus that we cannot live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The why behind reading is to experience life through this. Now this isn't to say that it's the only way. And it's a reminder that our life ultimately comes through our faith and trust in Jesus and through his death and resurrection. And that's where, how we gain life. But we enter into that life. We experience that life. We learn to, live what that, learn to know what that life looks like through reading and engaging and hearing the word of God through our Bibles. So my prayer as we begin 2024 is that we can experience and grow in spending time with him with our Bibles. And so my goal in the next few weeks is to help us to see how we can make this weird book that we have, this strange and confusing book, this hard and difficult book, something that's a little bit easier to read and something that we want to hear, we want to read, we want to experience, we want to engage in. So Fruitland, may we experience God this year. May we grow in spending time with him. May we grow in living in relationship with him as he speaks to us through his word. Amen.